so good to see all of you here today. I am feeling good. I am excited about this message today, particularly because I got an extra hour of sleep today as well. So uh, feeling recharged and ready to go and believing that God is going to encourage many of you here today. If you are new with us, uh, let me be the second person to say welcome. We're so glad that you're here today. My name is Pete. I serve as the lead pastor here, and we're just excited that you've decided to come and spend some of your Sunday morning here with us. And regardless of whether you're the invited guest of somebody that normally attends here, or maybe you've just moved into the area, or maybe you've just recently started investigating faith and you're looking for a church home, we trust that you're going to enjoy your experience here with us today, and we will look forward to seeing you not only after the service for our meet and greet so we can get to know each other a little bit, but also look forward to seeing you back next Sunday to be a part of the family that God really is building here at Life Church Buffalo. Exciting things are happening. We're feeling and experiencing momentum and believe that the best is yet to come. And so uh, thank you for being with us here today. Now, before I jump into any of my topic for this fourth part of starting over, I was watching TV earlier this week with my family when I saw a commercial come on for the 2018 Winter Olympics that are starting up in just a couple of months. How many Olympics fans do I have here today? Those of you that like to watch the Olympics? Good, a good number of you. I love watching the Olympics. It seems to be, you know, one of those times that... Uh, as a country, at least for a couple of weeks, we forget about the things that divide us and we focus on the things that unite us as we just cheer for our fellow countrymen who are, you know, going for gold in whatever, you know, uh, events that they might be competing in. And it got me thinking about not only what's coming up, but the Summer Olympics that we just watched last summer. Uh, and last year was a particularly interesting Olympics because of some history that was made there. I'm I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit preferential to the summer games as opposed to the winter Olympics. Um, and this year, this past year especially, um, there was history that was made when one particular Olympian set a record that may not ever be broken. I don't know. Maybe it will be. But Michael Phelps won his 23rd gold medal. In all of his Olympics combined, he won 28 medals, 23 of them gold. And uh, it was just a spectacular thing to watch and experience. But those of you that know anything about Michael Phelps uh, know that he is a very intense athlete. And he has this pregame ritual, so to speak, a pre-swim ritual where he kind of visualizes himself winning the gold. And there was one particular moment that was captured that kind of went viral where this competitor of his was kind of doing some shadow boxing to try to psych Michael out before the event. And Michael didn't even see it because he had what is known as the Phelps face going on. That right there, if you Google hashtag Phelps face, you will see the thousands of tweets that went out after this moment because he actually said in an interview afterwards, were you just like angry that this guy was trying to psych you out? And he said, no, I didn't even realize he was there. He goes, I was just listening to my music. He had his earbuds in and he was in the zone. And that's what it looks like for an Olympic athlete to be in the zone with the Phelps face. Uh, but for me, as, as, as amazing as it was to watch him make history and win all of those gold medals, what was even more compelling to me was how his story could have turned out. Because for those of you that don't know about Michael Phelps' story, you know, it was after the London Games in 2012 that Michael's life began to kind of spiral and spin out of control. His, his athleticism had brought him a level of success that very few people really ever experienced, but he was struggling. 
He felt empty, and so he turned to drugs and alcohol to numb his pain. And in September of 2014, he hit rock bottom. After months of estranged relationships, increasing apathy towards swimming and substance abuse, Phelps was arrested for his second DUI and was on the verge of losing everything he had accumulated. And in the days after his arrest, he isolated himself even more and continued to drink. And he said this, looking back on that time, he said, I had no self-esteem, no self-worth. I thought the world would just be better off without me. I figured that was the best thing to do, just end my life. After all of the success that he had experienced, he was on the verge of committing suicide. Now, we've all heard stories like this before. Sports hero, you know, success at an early age, life spirals out of control. We could probably think of the names of two or three athletes or celebrities right off the top of our head who've lived a similar narrative than, to this. But thankfully, Phelps' family and friends uh, convinced him to check himself into a rehab that year, and it was there that he discovered that he too could start over. And he took a book with him into rehab that a friend of his had given him. It was actually a professional athlete, had given him the book, The Purpose Driven Life. And while he was in rehab, Michael read this book written by Rick Warren, who is the pastor of Saddleback Church in California. And one of the best-selling books of all time, in fact, I think it is the number two best-selling book of all time, second only to the Bible. And uh, after reading it, Michael said that it turned me into believing that there is a power greater than myself and that there is a purpose for me on this planet. You know, as bad as hitting rock bottom was, Phelps said it was his experience of hitting rock bottom that changed everything for him. A situation that he certainly regretted became the turning point in his life. And according to Phelps, he said in an interview, I certainly wouldn't be where I am today in every aspect of my life without that experience. Since that time, you know, Phelps has reconnected with his estranged father. He got engaged to his longtime girlfriend, and together they celebrated their birth, uh, the birth of their first son. He found a new sense of purpose and experienced a renewed passion for the God-given talent that he had. And so what we saw in Rio was a new man, a man who had experienced a story of redemption. What began as a story of regret, what could have ended out tragically, turned into a story of redemption. And what I want all of us here today to know is that God wants to turn every single regret of yours into a story of redemption. I pray that that truth sinks its way into your mind and into your heart today, that God wants to turn your story of regret into a story of redemption. I don't care how big the regret is, how, how bad it is, how, how far in the past it is, how much damage has been done. God wants to take your story of regret and turn it into a story of redemption. And that's what I want us all to understand today. That's the main truth. But what is redemption? What does redemption mean? Different people might explain that differently. Redemption for me, for the sake of our series and our message here today, is, is allowing God to take everything from our past, including our worst regrets and our most painful memories, and using them for our good and for his glory. 
That's what redemption means, is allowing God to take everything from our past, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and allowing them to turn them around for our good and for his glory. You know, Paul was the guy in the Bible who we've mentioned many times who knew a little bit about regret. He was a guy that persecuted the early church, oversaw the execution of some of its members, and yet he wrote in the book of Romans because he knew all about how God can take everything in our life. I'm sure Paul regretted the things that he had done, but he wrote this in Romans 8, 28. He says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. How many things? All things. How many things? Say it again like you mean it. All things. God uses all things. The good things, the bad things, the things that you, you know, when you think about, you wish they had never happened. Those things that you wish would happen again because it was a missed opportunity. The disappointment and the things that make you cringe when you think about it. The things that you hope nobody ever finds out about. God turns all things around for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. God wants to take even your worst regrets and use them for your good and for his glory. I want you to grab a hold of this truth today that your worst moments are where God can do his best work. Your worst moments are when God can do his best work. This is one of the things I love about our God is that I feel like he relishes in the fact and taking things that some would say are broken beyond repair and making something so beautiful from it that you would, you would think that that was his original plan all along. Your worst moments in life are where God can do his best work. When you're at your lowest, stuck in regret, God can bring about the biggest change. He wants to take us from regret to redemption. Now, like Phelps, we've been talking about a guy who experienced kind of a rise and then a fall and then a rise again, who came out of, you know, relative obscurity, a shepherd boy tending sheep on the countryside, you know, wins an unlikely military victory over a giant named Goliath, which propels him into the national spotlight. He would eventually be crowned king of Israel wrote most of the book of Psalms, which is an honest look really into his life and his relationship with God as David is brutally honest throughout the Psalms about what he's feeling and working through. But as we've heard and talked about, his life was not without some serious regrets. His affair with Bathsheba, the wife of one of his best soldiers, was a shocking lapse of character. And when she came forward several weeks later and, and said that she was pregnant. David had her husband killed in an attempt to cover it all up. And then the child that would come from that adulterous relationship would die. So much pain, so much ugly, painful stuff that he had to walk through. And listen, we've all got regrets. It may not be as extreme as David's, but we all experience regrets in life. And we've been talking from the beginning of the series about how we kind of lump or categorize these regrets into three different buckets. And for the sake of those of you who may not have been here from the beginning, we've got regrets of action is the first type. Things that we've done that we really wish we hadn't done. A mean word spoken to someone that damaged a relationship. Something like that. Just things that kind of make you hit your forehead. Why did I do that? Regrets of action. And then there are regrets of inaction, those things that we didn't do that we really wish we had. You know, words left unspoken, 
time wasted or opportunities missed, those risks that we didn't take. And then lastly, we talked about regrets of reaction, those regrets that come as a result of things that were done to us or, you know, hurtful events that took place that we naturally regret. And if we're not careful, we can get stuck in what we've talked about as the sorry cycle, where these regrets turn into longings that create these, these, these actions that lead to more regret. And it's this endless loop of longing and regret. And that's what this series is all about, is just realizing that we can, with God's help, start over and live a life beyond our regret. We don't have to say stuck in the sorry cycle. But to do that, we've got to go through a process. And in the second week of the series, we learned that the first step is to recognize our regrets. We've got to look our regrets square in the face and be honest with ourselves and with God and with others that something has happened that I regret that's keeping me from moving forward in life. We've got to recognize them. And so we had an amazing experience a couple weeks ago when you know, we wrote down our regrets, to recognize them, to be honest with ourselves and with God, and we put them here in the cross because we know that Jesus paid a high price for the places of our pain that bring regret and shame, and we, he carried them so that we don't have to. But we can't stop there. We can't stay there. It's not like recognizing our regrets is gonna you know, fix everything. So we learned that we've got to take another step. And so last week, we talked about the importance of then releasing our regrets. And in almost every case, releasing our regrets will always involve forgiveness, whether it's forgiving someone who has hurt us or asking for forgiveness from someone that we've hurt, maybe asking God for forgiveness for sin that we've committed, or in some cases, even forgiving ourselves because we can't stop beating ourselves up over the things that we've done. But today we're going to talk about the third step of this process and starting over, which is that we need to redeem your regrets, that God wants to redeem your regrets. But what does that mean? What does it look like to redeem our regrets? You know, as, as David recognized and released his regrets, God began redeeming them by giving him a son, which you can read about on, in 2 Samuel chapter 12. You know, after that first child from the adulterous affair died, God would give them another son that they would name Solomon. And you know what the name Solomon means? It means God's peace. I love that. God's peace. He, David was, was finding peace with God as God began to redeem his regrets. And then God confirmed that by sending Nathan, the very guy that he had sent to confront David of his sin. He would come back to David after God spoke to him and would give Solomon a second name, a nickname of sorts when he called him Jedidiah. And do you know what Jedidiah means? It means God's beloved. I love that. God's peace. God's beloved. God is telling David and Bathsheba, I know what happened in the past was not part of my plan. I know it brought a lot of pain. I know it was sin, but that's all in the past and the past is gone. And now I'm giving you my peace, my beloved. Don't tell me there isn't anything in your life that God can't redeem. And when David looked into the face of his child, he knew that God was redeeming his regrets. And so he told Bathsheba in 1 Kings, as surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble, I will surely carry out this very day what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, that Solomon, your son, shall be king after me. 
and he will sit on my throne in my place. This is incredible. Solomon would go on to do some amazing things as the king of Israel. He would construct the temple in Jerusalem, the place that Jews would go to to worship God for years to come. Under his reign, Israel enjoyed unprecedented economic success and peace with their enemies. But the most amazing part of all of this is that do you know who would come through the line and lineage of Solomon? Jesus Christ himself. This, when you think about this, when you wrap your mind around this story of regret turning into redemption, we're not just talking about David's regrets being redeemed. God's plan for the redemption of all of mankind came through the line and lineage of a son that would come about as a result of a murder and an adulterous affair that David would eventually bring to be his own wife, and they would produce a son that would eventually give us Jesus, who would die on a cross for our sins and redeem all of mankind. There is nothing in your life that is so big or so so bad that God can't redeem it and bring about good and his glory. Nothing. And God wants to take your story of regret and turn it into a story of redemption. You know, for the last couple of weeks, we have been kind of looking at a story of a guy named Greg who has recognized and released his regrets. And so today I want to show you the third part of his testimony and see how God redeemed his regrets. So take a look at this. So I remember wrecking my car and the next thing I know, I come to and I have no idea where I am, none. I'm looking around and I know I'm in some sort of hospital. I asked the guy um, where I was, one of the patients, and. He told me I was in the state mental ward, and I just remember thinking, oh God, I gotta get out of here. And as I'm laying in this hospital bed, um, and the nurses are asking me to, to you know, move upstairs into the, the, you know, the nut ward again, my only motivation at that point is I, I didn't want to hurt people anymore. I didn't want to hurt my family, I didn't want to hurt my fiance, I didn't want to hurt strangers, I just didn't want to hurt people with my life anymore. So I made a decision to go upstairs to accommodate their desires um, into, the, into the mental ward. But I'd made up my mind that the minute I get out that I'm going to, to take my own life. That's my worldview at that point. I'm in a mental ward um, and I know I'm going to take my life and I know there is no way out. So as I'm sitting in this, this mental institution, and there was a woman who um, obviously had more issues going on than just substance abuse, but she was coloring, and she broke her crayon. And in breaking that crayon, she started shrieking and thought the world was ending and her life was over. And I was trying to explain to her that, you know, it's just a crayon and that the world's not ending and her life's not over. In that moment, it was as if God had just whispered to me that it might not be over for me either. And that was the first glimmer of hope that I had felt in years. I mean, years. The mental ward offered to transfer me down to a, um, a rehab facility in Florida, even though I'd been to a million treatment centers and I didn't think they could help me. That little voice of God that said, uh, maybe it's not quite over for you either, gave me just enough willingness to say, okay. I'm alone in Florida. Um, they, Every belonging I have, can, it did actually fit in a garbage bag. I'm kind of a mess at that point, so even though I have hope, my life, I shouldn't have hope. So if you look at the state of my life when I'm in Florida, 
I'm homeless, I'm jobless, I have a broken shoulder, and this charity of the treatment center is gonna run out soon, and, and then what? I, you know, I have nowhere to go and nothing to do, and so I shouldn't have hope, but God just has a way of doing some pretty amazing things. And I remember sitting, um, I was down there and I was at this bus stop, realizing that I can't fix all the things that I've done, and I can't fix my own life. I also realized that maybe that's not what living is about. The point I'd missed the whole time throughout these years of even trying to follow Christ is that it's really not about me. Maybe it's all about God. And so maybe what I can do instead of regret all that I've done, use that experience to be able to relate with others and maybe help show them the way out the same way that someone brought me out. So I came up and I was able to reconcile things with my family and I went to uh, try and make things right with uh, my ex. Obviously that went well because today we're married. We have two children, a uh, four-year-old daughter and a two-year-old son. The biggest thing that starting over means to me is the willingness to to not just let go of the past because it's not people always say that you got to let go and move on but it, you can't forget what's happened so I don't think that's the answer when I think about starting over what it's meant for me is to be willing to let go instead of the past let go of what the future is supposed to look like this whole idea that I need to that I need to know the outcome of how to fix things and say okay I am a drug addict I did lose everything like, I was this ugly person. I had these hard things happen. I did these terrible things. God, how can we use those to, to some sort of good? Such a powerful story, you know, and what I love about Greg's story is not just that God is now using him as an amazing husband and father, but Greg is now also helping other people who are struggling with addiction learn and realize that they too can start over. God has used his experiences as an addict to help other people gain victory in their struggles and start over themselves. Don't you want to experience that in your life? I know that I do. God can bring something good out of every bad situation that you've been in in your life. And so today, I simply want to share with you three truths that, that relate to how God turns our story of regret into a story of redemption. And the first truth is that we need to understand is that redemption is something God wants to do. We have to begin there. Re redemption is something that God wants to do. None of us can do this on our own. And if you believe that you can, you're welcome to go out those doors and keep trying to bring something good out of something bad. I hope you do, but my experience has shown that redemption without God seldom happens. But with God, redemption always happens. But we have to believe that he wants to redeem our regrets. So many of us get stuck. We, even if we think that he can we feel like we are deserving of whatever punishment or experience we find ourselves stuck in to pay for the things that have happened. But God wants to redeem our regrets. That's why he went to the cross. He carried our shame so that we don't have to. But that doesn't mean that we don't have a part to play in this. Yes, God is the one who redeems it, but we have a part to play in it. And our part is simply to trust, to trust that God can and wants to redeem our regrets. You know, the original word in the Greek for redeem means to rescue, to rescue. So if you think about it this way, 
And if I'm out in the middle of the ocean struggling for my life, trying to keep my head above water and the waves are, are up and down and I'm struggling and, you know, I, I obviously can't save myself because if I could, I would have done that already. And so what do I need? I need someone to come and rescue me. And so the worst thing I can do when God reaches into my situation to throw me a life ring is to fight it and try to do it on my own. But instead, my part is simply to trust that God is there to rescue me, to redeem me. We've just got to trust that he wants to. We have a part to play, but listen, the number one truth that we need to understand is that redemption is something he wants to do. The second truth we need to understand is that redemption can take many forms. Not everyone comes back from regret with 23 gold medals. It doesn't happen that way for everyone. God redeems our regrets in many different ways, and it's not necessarily going to happen in the way that we want or expect it to happen. Each time God redeems someone's difficult situations or past, it's perfectly tailored for each unique individual. So redemption can look like a lot of different things. So I want to talk about some of the ways that redemption might look like for you as he redeems your regrets. The first way is that it might look like finding your way back to God. You know, when you go through difficult circumstances in your life or when you're coming out of regret, inevitably people wind up wrestling with some serious questions about life and spirituality and purpose and meaning. God, why am I here? And inevitably, even if they didn't grow up in church, they wind up in this place on their journey where, where they begin asking, God, are you real? Do you really have a plan for my life? And sometimes they might approach this, and in the past, maybe they've experienced or thought that God was some harsh dictator, the way that the church has portrayed him, and only to find that when they do come to him, he's an loving father with his arms wide open, ready to receive them. And so a lot of times redemption looks like we find our way back to God for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time where we had walked away from him because of that traumatic experience, and we finally find our way back to the arms of a loving father. Redemption might also look like spiritual growth, and maybe that's you here today. Maybe you're finding your way back to God, or maybe you're in a season of, of allowing God to use this to build things in you. You know, a lot of times when we come out of regret, we reach a point where we, we can, we're left with nothing else but just to kind of drop to our knees in humility and say, God, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this on my own. And this is the perfect posture, the posture of humility and surrender where God begins to work things and build things into your life. And he, he says, finally, you've realized that you can't do it on your own. I want to do this with you and for you. You know, when I think about the time after my first wife left, Initially, I was extremely angry with God for allowing my life to wind up in this place, and so I ran from God. I self-medicated. I was bitter. I was angry, and finally, I reached a point of dropping to my knees and saying, Lord, I don't want to do this anymore. I need you. And it was at that moment when I rededicated my life to the Lord in the five or six months that, you know, the first six months of 2005 are to me in my entire life, and I've grown up in and around the church my whole life. Those six months are the greatest spiritual growth I've ever experienced in my life as God became real to me again. It was like I got born again, again, almost. I couldn't put the Bible down. Every word jumped off the page, and it was life to my soul. 
I wept every time I heard worship music playing as I let the love of my father remind me that I was still his son and he still had a plan for my life. I couldn't get enough of his presence. I was in church every single time the doors were open. And so sometimes redemption looks like spiritual growth as you find yourself in a posture of humility and then God can use that to teach you things and build things into you, his character. So maybe that's you here today. Other times, redemption might look like rescheduling, like rescheduling. Maybe your first business venture failed, but that taught you some things, and now you're prepared to lead a different successful entrepreneurial attempt. Or maybe you and your spouse wanted children as soon as you got married, but the first wouldn't come for many years. And in situations like this, if God is delaying giving you a gift, it might be because he knows the right time for you to give you that gift. We need to understand that a lot of times when we're getting impatient about you know, a gift that he wants to give us, not only is he preparing you for your destiny, but he's preparing your destiny for you. He's arranging some things in that situation that aren't quite ready yet, and so you're not ready for it yet. He's still got some character development to do in you while he prepares your destiny for you. It might look like rescheduling, but it might also look like redirection. You know, I can think of a woman who was really wrestling with whether or not she should marry uh, the, the, the man that she was engaged to. There was really nothing wrong with the relationship. They were both Christ followers. They both loved Jesus. There was nothing immoral happening in the relationship, and yet she was really wrestling with, is this the right person? Is this what I want for my life? And so eventually she came to the decision to end the engagement. And then it was difficult, and they kind of went back and forth in their relationship for a little while, back together, off again, on again, but finally, she cut it off and ended the relationship, and she would eventually meet and marry another man, which she now knows is so much better for her than that other guy could have ever been. Isn't that right, Kelly? <laughs> I don't know if she's in this experience or not, but that was my wife's story. I know of a business executive as well who wanted so badly to become a pastor, and for several different reasons, it never worked out for him. And so today, he is a very successful businessman making a huge impact and making a big difference in people's lives in his field that he would have never had the opportunity to touch or influence had his life worked out the way he thought or wanted it to. God has him exactly where he wants him. Sometimes redemption looks like redirection. And lastly, sometimes it looks like an opportunity to just bless others. You know, there are addicts, recovering addicts that I know of that are now counselors that are helping other people along in their journey of healing. And really, that was Greg's story that we've been watching. He's now helping other people on their path to recovery. I know of former teenage rebels that are now great teachers and coaches. Their regrets have been turned inside out by redemption, and the next generation are now the recipients, the beneficiaries of that redemption. In fact, I would go so far as to say that people who haven't experienced pain or suffered much may not have as much to offer others as those that have. There is purpose in your pain. God wastes nothing that you've been through 
in your life as he weaves his story of redemption through every experience that you've been through. He wastes nothing. Redemption can take a lot of different forms, but my question to you today is, will you let God do what only he can do? Will you let him do his good work in you and through you? The last truth that I want to give you today is that we need to understand that redemption requires us to take the long view. We have to try to see things from God's perspective. We've got to try, and and try is the operative word here because this is difficult because there's really two perspectives you can have on things that happen in your life. And we, as, as people, tend to want things when? Right now. We want things right now, right? We live in a microwave society. I want it your way right away at Burger King now, right? We want it right now, but God tends to see things from eternity. We want things now, but God sees things from a different perspective, and it's from eternity. And in my experience, God never seems to be in as much of a hurry to bring about our story of redemption as we want him to be. But God's timing is perfect. You know, if we go back to the story of David, he had to take the long view as well. Solomon didn't come right away and make everything better. There was a lot of pain and sorrow and heartache first. Those of you that have had miscarriages or have lost a child know the pain that's involved with losing a child. For David to see God's redemptive work in his life, though, he had to try and see things from God's perspective, the long view, and trust God. And we tend to panic when our regrets don't get redeemed right away, don't we? When we, you know, were first married, Kelly and I got ourselves into a little bit of financial trouble. I've shared some of this with you in previous messages. You know, I brought a lot of debt into our relationship, into the marriage, but we accumulated more when we were first married. We used our credit card to buy things that we couldn't afford. And at the end of every month, I regretted the decisions we had made to purchase the things that we didn't really need just to keep up with the Joneses. And so I wanted God to rescue me right now. God, will you send a big check so we can pay off our debt and then we'll be able to give more to your kingdom. But guess what? It didn't happen right away. It didn't happen right now. We've been married 11 years and we are still paying for the choices and decisions that we made in that first year of marriage. And I believe it's because God wanted to teach us some things about that. He wanted to teach us that the borrower is a slave to the lender. He wanted to teach us what financial management and stewardship look like, that we are the owners of nothing and the stewards of everything, and that he entrusts his resources to us to manage for his purposes. But we had to take the long view, and we are this close to finally being completely debt-free with the exception of our mortgage because God has been building character into us. But it takes the long view. Maybe your regret is a little bit more painful than debt. Maybe it's an estranged relationship. Maybe it's a failed business venture. Maybe it's a horrible accident that you were in. Maybe it is adultery. Maybe it is abuse that you incurred while you were a kid. Or maybe as an adult, adults aren't exempt from being abused. I met with someone just last week who's in an abusive marriage. Desperate to know what to do and for God to intervene. 
maybe you've had an abortion. Maybe you're here and you're a student and you've made the decision to give your virginity away before you were married and you're regretting every single day having had made that decision. Listen to me. There is no regret that you have that God can't redeem. There is no regret, no bad situation that God can't bring good out of for your life, for his glory. No regret. But sometimes that story of redemption takes months. Sometimes it takes years. The Bible is full of story after story after story of people who have experienced God's redemptive power. Look at Moses. Moses was a murderer, and yet God redeemed his hatred and his anger towards the Egyptians. But it took 40 years for that story of redemption to be realized. 40 years. But he would eventually become one of the greatest leaders in Israel's history. What about Ruth? Those of you that know the story of Ruth, she was an idol worshiper. And yet God redeemed her paganism and she too would become an ancestor to our Savior. Jesus would come through Ruth's lineage. What about Peter? We've talked about him. This boastful, impulsive, and inconsistent man who probably cussed like a sailor. And yet God would redeem his pride and his flaws and he would become the rock upon which Jesus would build his church. Peter's statement of faith that said Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God, was the bedrock and foundation for our faith that Jesus would use to kickstart his new church, his new gathering of people. God redeemed it. Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. You think she had some regrets? Absolutely she did. And yet God redeemed her life as well as she would become a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul, we've talked about. Somebody who was so stuck in his legalistic mindset that he would persecute and even oversee the killing of Christians. And yet God would redeem him and he would become one of the greatest missionaries that would ever live. I could go on and on, but remember that redemption requires us to take the long view. God works his time, not ours. As much as that can be frustrating to us, we need to realize and try to see things from his perspective. We need the long view. Redemption might look like a lot of different things. But my question again to you today is, will you let God do his good work in you and through you? I believe every single one of us has a choice here today when it comes to our regrets. Are we going to choose to see our regrets as a finish line, as that thing that we just can't get past? Or are we going to choose to start over and live a life beyond our regrets? I'm not saying that this is easy. In fact, it's a very difficult process. It's painful. It's hard. It, it can be complex. But it does start with a simple choice. So what will it be for you today? Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? We can stay stuck in our regrets or we can start over. I want to pray for a couple different groups of people that we have here today. I think there are some people who have been able to identify with each one of the three truths that I presented to you today. And there are some people here that maybe struggle believing and trusting that God wants to redeem your past. There are others who are struggling 
trusting that redemption may not look like what you want it to look like. You've had this picture in your mind of how you think God is going to work on your behalf, but it hasn't happened yet. And so you're struggling trusting God that he's going to work it out in your favor. There are others who have been a little bit impatient and have struggled trusting God to work it out in his time. And you've not been able to keep the long view. And so if any of those three resonate with you today, I simply want to ask you to lift your hand so that we can pray for you as a, as a community of faith, as a family. We all have regrets and we all struggle starting over from those regrets. There's hands up all over this place. So Lord, I just pray for every hand that was raised, every person here today that Lord has found themselves at some place along this journey struggling to trust that you want to redeem them. Or maybe they're struggling Lord, with how you're going to work it out and hoping it's going to be a certain way, but maybe you've got a different plan. Or maybe there's others here today that have been so impatient and have tried to get ahead of you. But Lord, you're, you're asking them to wait, to be still and know that I am God. Lord, I pray right now that you, your Holy Spirit would flood our hearts and our minds as we invite you into this process of starting over. Lord, that we would see that you are able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we can ask or imagine according to your power that's at work within us. The other group of people I want to pray for this morning are those of you who maybe are here as the invited guest of somebody who knew that you've had regrets and thought this might be a good series that you could get something helpful out of. I don't know what your history is when it comes to church or towards a relationship with God, but I think there might be some people here today who've never had a relationship with God. You've maybe been around church, maybe you haven't, but while I've been talking today, you've been sensing this tugging on your heart and you know that Jesus wants to come in and, and, and you're scared about that, you don't know what that means, but you're ready to stop trying to start over on your own because you've not been able to. And so if that's you here today and you wanna open up your heart and say, yes, Jesus, will you come in? Will you help me to start over? Will you wash away the shame of my regrets? If you've never had a relationship with Jesus or you walked away from him a long time ago and you wanna come home today, Will you simply raise your hands to say, yes, Lord, I invite you. I want you to come in and be the Lord and leader of my life. Is there anyone here today? I see that hand in the back. Is there anybody else that wants to say yes to Jesus? Anybody else? I see that hand over here. Those of you that raised your hands, I want all of us to just pray this prayer together. The words of the prayer aren't important. What matters is your posture towards God who is like a loving father waiting for you to receive him into your heart. So say, Jesus, forgive me of all my sins. Wash away my shame. I invite you to come and live in my heart and give me the power and the strength to start over with you. Redeem my regrets and give me a purpose in Jesus name Lord I thank you so much for the new life that just transpired that someone's name was just recorded in your book of life that someone just crossed over from death to life and the angels in heaven are having a party right now because one was lost and now is found and so Jesus we rejoice that your family is growing 
And God, I pray that you would help all of us live out this message in our day-to-day lives to be a reflection of your redeeming love. God, we thank you for that. And all of God's people said,